Hi everyone, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and it is our privilege to have with us on our Veteran Stories Difference Makers, Kervin Orcoin. Good to see you, Veteran of the Army. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. Great to have you here. Why don't you tell us about your motivation for joining the military in the first place? Well, uh, I started October, well, signed up October 16th of 2001. That's um, a key date, I think, for, for most people. And However, the, my reason for getting into it was not 9-11. Uh, you know, 9-11 had just happened. It was actually, um, I was 17 at the time and needed my parents to, to sign off on it. My mom said, I will not sign for you to, to join the Army. And I said, wow. okay, well, then I'm signing up. You already made the decision for me. So it's so a little bit probably an insight into to who I am as a person, <laughs> not wanting to be uh, to be controlled, but then I signed up for the army to be controlled, uh, for the next, however, <laughs> however long that was 15 years. Um, but honestly, the, the motivation were, was a few things. I, I wasn't actually as a 17 year old, I, I wasn't that patriotic. Uh, that was not who I was at that time. Uh, even after nine 11 happened, uh, I come from a small town in Louisiana. It, it really didn't, I guess at that point in my life, it didn't really hit me. Um, but, but then I, I signed up and I got, uh, I started looking at the sort of intelligence sides, so the military intelligence side of it. And they reading up on it. And I said, well, this is going to be really cool. I think I can, I can do a lot of good. And, uh, and that was really my motivation is I wanted something that was going to be different. Um, I had quit a lot of things in my childhood, um, sort of sports and, you know, that kind of athletic stuff. And, and I was told by a lot of people, you're not going to make it. You're, you're going to fall out. You're going to injure yourself. You're never going to, you're never going to be good enough. And that was sort of a motivation for me. And, yeah. Uh, incredibly, I, I got through everything. Um, I was never the top of my class in, in any of it, but that was me going through school. You know, I was an average student in school and I just could, I could procrastinate for anything and, uh, and, and sort of getting into the army kind of helped me readjust my mind to, uh, to start doing things in a timely manner, uh, at that point. So, uh, I, I signed up and they put me on a bus in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I, I got out into got to into an airport and flew out to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, we call here in the states relax in Jackson. I don't know if they call that anymore, but it's supposed to be the the easiest of the basic trainings. Um, and and really, the job that I picked, which I started out as an imagery analyst, uh, with what's known now as a geospatial uh, intelligence analyst using mm. map and satellite photos. Uh, but it was one of the it was one of the longer job uh, what we call AITs advanced uh, job training. So it was one of the longer ones, and I wanted to be away from my small town for as long as possible. And uh, that's so I chose it, and it spent six months looking at you know Russian satellite images, wow. and, and that's really helped out today, right? <laughs> so. That really helped me out um, and and finish that up. 
went back home for a little bit and about, you know, a year after the training and, and getting into my unit, getting into a platoon and everything and making friends. And we immediately uh, got our orders to deploy and we were going to Iraq. Right. Uh, this was uh, 2004. So, you know, 2003, the invasion on Iraq happens and, and everybody's worried about what's going on. And 2004, there I am uh, just starting to train up to uh, to get out to Iraq, went into uh, went to Kuwait. Did more training there, and uh, quite honestly, we we made the trek with Humvees, a, a row of fifteen Humvees for our companies, and we drove from you know from Kuwait to Baghdad, Iraq. And, wow! Um, a, a funny story for that, as we are uh, so as we're leaving Kuwait, guns are hot. We're ready to go. You know, you're 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 putting your your weapon, taking it off a safe and it's going to be, it's ready to go as soon as we get past the border. So we had, we, we didn't have up armored vehicles at that point. This is 2004. We created our own, got a bunch of um, scrap metal from various places and hardened our doors up. Well, I guess I hardened mine a little too much because as soon as we got through the border, uh, hit a bump and my door falls off. you know, 20 years old with a rifle in my hand and shots, you know, tracer rounds going up over the vehicles and, uh, and I have no door. And so I'm, I'm oh. trying to be, uh, you know, you, you, your initial thought is to, to give yourself a, uh, make yourself a small target. And, uh, in my mind, I said, well, there's only one thing protecting me and that's my, uh, my chest plate. So I'm going to make myself a large target and they can hit my chest plate and hopefully I'll survive. And luckily nothing happened. We got to the next, uh, the next location. I was able to re-put, uh, put my door on, but that's my initial, uh, jumped into, uh, an active war situation. Um, and that was the start of my army career. And that, that really started my, um, maybe my love of country for, for the United States and, and, my enjoyment in the army. Those were the times that I loved. You know, you talk mm. to me at that point, and I will tell I that person, that Kervin, 20-year-old Kervin will say, This is the worst time of my life. And now 38-year-old Kervin will tell you that was the most fun I had. You know, a bunch of young soldiers all together, uh living together for a year. It was 18 months. Mm. And, and that camaraderie that you built. Yeah. It, uh, it, it was really powerful. And so at that point, when we got back, that was the time I could have gotten out. And the guy that signed up for the army would have definitely gotten out. But uh, as soon as we got back, I said, hey, I don't want to be an, an imagery analyst anymore because there's no real use for it. Uh with what we were doing, there wasn't much use for it. I said, I want to do something different. And uh, my unit said, well, what do you think about learning a new language? I said, okay, what, what languages are you offering? So we only offer one and it's Arabic. So, okay. Wow. That's, that's what I'm going to do. That was the so, easy one. That was the easy, yeah, that was the easy <laughs> one. Um, yeah. So went out to Monterey, California 
and and studied Arabic, learned Arabic, and that was a fantastic time. So throughout my entire military career, I've been afforded a ton of opportunities that, you know, the, the U.S. government paid for me to do. And, and it's really helped my career. You know, I've, I've advanced my career because of all these little steps that I took. Um, mm. at the going to, to Monterey for Arabic was one of those steps. And so I became a, uh, a crypto linguist. And then I started getting into what we call UAVs, RPAs, remotely piloted aircraft, or colloquially what's known as drones. Yeah. Um, and finished up at in, in Monterey, went back, deployed out to Iraq again, doing um, human intelligence analysis. So sort of interrogations and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that, I have to say, was the most trying time on um, at, oh, at that point in my life, on, on my, my body, my mind, my soul. You know, it's, it was every single day um, either talking to people who were scared, you know, that they've been detained in their own country a lot mm -hmm. of times for doing nothing more than, than having fertilizer or associating with some other person that they maybe should not have associated with. And so you're either getting these people who are distraught and breaking down and, and trying to talk them through it and, and trying not to be the bad guy in their, in their mind. And then you have the flip side of that are the people that are, are really evil. Uh, we've, yeah. I've met some really evil people and, and you try to talk to them and it's lie after lie after lie. And so being lied to day in and day out, and it, it really did a, a toll on me. So uh, after that, I said, I'm not doing that anymore. What what else do you have? So I, I was sent out to Fort Bragg and they were they were pretty much jump starting their uh, drone, what we call ISR, Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Program, which is just, you know, it's uh, it's full motion video. It's drones flying over, uh, surveilling a location. And, and I got into that and that was, uh, so, so I went from maybe a, a year long deployment every couple years to four month deployments every year, sometimes twice a year. And as you can expect, that was very taxing. Uh, but it was working with special operations guys. So you're talking right. what we consider tip of the spear. Uh, cream of the crop. Uh, I don't know in New Zealand what uh, what those those terms translate to, but these are the best of the best, right. and and I wanted to be a part of that. So I got started there, and I I immediately, um, I guess two things. I mean, I immediately fell in love with with the job because I was uh, in high school and going through college. I was a history buff, and, and so I loved history. I loved you know, researching wars and what started the war and how, how did this country, how were they able to succeed? And then I said, you know what, I'm, I'm making history now. You know, I'm going on these operations that CNN and Fox News and, and BBC are talking about the next day. And, right. and I'm going home and, and put on the TV. And, oh, I, I already knew that that was happening. So to me, that was very fulfilling. Uh, but doing it, every day 12 hours a day and and just um you're you're attacking the enemy 
but you're still attacking a human being. Right. And so uh, that is what really strained on me. So throughout my right. whole military career, while I loved it, um, I, I like I like I mentioned before, my personality, I didn't like being told what to do, which is, I think, why I succeeded in the uh, special operations environment, because there's not a lot of you have to do this, this and this. Uh, we called it big boy rules. You you were told this is what you need to do today. There's no oversight on it. If you're getting the job done, not only are you going to succeed, but you're going to be promoted. And that's you know that's what happened. My first year in, I was a team lead. Uh, th the next year, uh, you know, I was I was leading the crew going out to Afghanistan. So I was making all those uh, progressions, and um, and you know it it did wear on me. Um, and so after 15 years in uniform, I said, I'm done. I, I can't, I can't do this mm -hmm. anymore, but I want to continue supporting, uh, the department of defense, the U S military. And I said, well, what can I do to do that? And that's where the transition that that's where having someone who understands the transition comes into play. Right. Cause so many times you'll talk to a contractor, uh, and, let's go, what, 2008, 2009, contractors were making lots of money. And that's what everybody wanted, right? I want a lot of money. And and then you don't understand what comes into play with that. You know, you don't have your health care. Right. You don't have all these kind of other things that you're now going to have to pay for. And, and so you're not really making as much money. So if you're getting into it for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And it was it was good to have a mentor that sat me down and, and kind of told me that I said, I want to get out. And they said, well, let's talk through it. Uh, do you have a follow on job? I said, yes, I know what I'm going to do. And I've already interviewed and I'm going to do it. And they said, okay, what, you know, give me a basis, give me a, a workaround of what you're going to get paid. Tell me what, what you may get paid. And uh, I gave them that information. I said, okay, to do that, and they, they just went through the checklist of this is what you're going to need to do to be as comfortable as you were in uniform. And that was the best thing that, that could have happened. So we hmm. broke it all down and I said, yeah, I can do it. And, and that is how I made the decision to, to transition out. Who was um, that person, this mentor? Uh, <laughs> that's... Uh, that's quite funny. It was um, an old friend of mine, um, this Daniel Stacks. He's now like a, a major, I think now. Um, but we were enlisted together, and uh, and he talked me through it. And he's, I mean, he's still in now, but he always he he was there from the very beginning. We were friends when we first deployed and all that kind of stuff. And and he said, well, he's like, I know it's been taxing on you. And, and I know you don't really want to continue mm. this, but you have to know you cannot, you can't put your, you can't just put your foot in there and dip your toes in the water and then say, well, maybe I'll just come back to it. If you're right. going to go out, go all out. And, uh, and it really helped me to, to be where I am today and be as successful, uh, as successful as I am today. How wonderful that you had someone who had your best interests at heart 
who could have the the support of your tough conversations with you. Yeah, no doubt. And I do say that it's that, that's a great term you said, the tough conversations, because everyone wants to hear. And I've had conversations with, uh, you know, my brother was in the army and, and I've had conversations with him and the friends that are that were in. And it's tough to have those conversations with people that you love and people that um, are close mm. to you because you don't know what their reaction is going to be. And um, and so it was good for him to be forceful in that. And always caveating with, I'm coming from a good place, but I need yeah. to know that you are going to be supported. So now tell us about what you're doing now. Well, now, so as I transitioned and, and became a contractor and started doing, I started doing uh, 60 days on, 60 days off, which is 60 days in a foreign country uh, working uh, intelligence operations out of various countries in Africa, Europe, the uh, Southeast Asia. And, uh, and, and it got to a point where I had to say, I got to be with my family. I can't be doing this anymore. Uh, as mm -hmm. much fun and, and as in, in enlightening and, and as much as I was getting out of it, my family was losing out. Right. So I said, what am I going to do? And I, I thought about it and I was at a point with the company I was in where I had reached the, the top that I could get to. You know, the, the, the only other thing I could do was buy the company and take it over. And so I decided I'm going to start my own company and went through, got, uh, read a lot of online stuff, uh, didn't get an MBA or any business kind of thing. But uh, as an analyst, as somebody who likes to research, I did a lot of researching. I did a lot of, um, you know, they call it the, the MOOCs or the MOOCs, the, these open source sort of courses that are given for free. Uh, and, and I just went through them all. And I said, I can do this. And I took my background as an intelligence analyst and my traveling that I had done. Uh, because a lot of the times, especially with the uh, special operations guys and and in the, the two months on and two months off traveling, it was a it was a lot on my own. I was doing my own uh, buying my own airline tickets, getting my visas, all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, I've mm. done this for so long and I have so many friends and family who ask me to put their itineraries together and tell them where is a safe place and what's a good hotel. That's, that's a great idea to consult with high-level executives. Uh, it's called protective intelligence. Um, and, and so the thought was I was going to make uh, bespoke intelligence reports. Uh, if for anybody that doesn't know, bespoke is just like individualized reports. So some high-level corporate person wanting to travel will contact and I can give them a report on any country. Well, March of 2020 hits, and we all know what happened after that. There is no more travel. Mm. So as I'm getting the company built up, there it's no use anymore. No one's asking for intelligence reports on countries because no one's traveling. Right. And, and so I had to pivot. And I said, well, what, what can I do? You know, I thought this was the perfect thing. 
and um, and I got with friends of mine that I had deployed with, uh, quite a few other colleagues, and I asked them, I said, what, what do you think is missing in the intelligence community? And there was a, a whole list of things, you know, data analysis, that they just don't do enough data analysis. They don't, um, there isn't a social media for the intelligence community. You know, everything's getting pulled in from Twitter. And so in uh, 2000, so this was July of 2001, I created the first of its kind, um, which has now been used by another intelligence company, but it was a um, first of its kind, private intelligence, uh, social media community. And I call that the need to know community. In, in the intelligence community, you're, you have certain clearances, right? You can, be, you can have a secret, top secret, um, and with those come caveats, and those are need to know. It's called need to know. And the only people who can have access to that are people who have need to know. And, and so that was the first thing I thought of. I said, well, we get people who uh, don't want to be lied to anymore, basically. Mm. They just want to know what is going on without any fluff or any narrative being pushed. And they want to be in a community of those same people. Uh, so I started that. And then I started writing blogs. And, um, and and then I started getting requests in from people to, to do certain reports. You know, uh, the extremists. So in the U.S., we had a lot of right-wing extremist propaganda going around. Um, they had a lot of left-wing extremists uh yeah, especially up like Seattle and Portland going and creating their own city blocks and stuff. And so people wanted information on that. And I started handing out the, that information. And then I said, uh, with all that, you know, not everybody wants to read it. Not everybody wants to pay to have access to this stuff. So let me start the, the podcast. So under the umbrella of the company started uh, the podcast and, and my co my co-host, some very important to me is family. So my co-host is my wife and she bounces all the questions off of me. And it just, it was right. taken in from all my experience uh, from the past. And so just recently, so we put out an episode December 24th and, and I made a prediction that right after the election, uh, Putin would invade, he'd take Russia to invade Ukraine. And, uh, and it happened. The, the same day that I said it would happen, it happened. And a lot of people before said, no, it'll never happen. And, and then after it did, they said, how did you know it, it would happen? I said, well, it's 20 some odd years of experience. Um, yeah. and, and also the places I've been and, and just understanding who people are. And that's what intelligence analysis is. You've got to understand people. Um, as much as we'd like to say humans are... Um, they can be erratic. The humans are, are very easy to understand. And we like to have certain things and we don't like change. And we follow a pattern. And so in intelligence analysis, you can follow that pattern. You can do a, a link analysis and predict something. And, that, and that's exactly how it happened. And that's what we do as a company. We take all this information uh, and it's not proprietary information. We're taking it from all over, aggregating from social media, aggregating from news, 
and, and putting it all together and making a prediction. And I feel in this day and age of the media telling you this is this is what's going to happen and, and this is how mm. you need to feel. I felt that there was a need for people to hear not what they want to hear, not what they're being told needs to happen, but just what is going on and let them decide what they should right. do. And that became so when we pivoted away from the uh, from travel security, when I did that pivot, that was the number one issue I had. I did not want to be a media person. I didn't want to have a narrative and push that. And right. my my thought was, this is what people want. They don't want to be told what to do. That goes back. I guess that goes back to the very beginning, right? <laughs> my mom told me to. I couldn't sign up and I, I did it anyway. I don't want to be told what to do. I just want you to tell me the facts and, and, and tell me what you think is going to happen. And I'll make that prediction myself. So would it be more business people who are reaching out to you or military or who? Uh, it's, it's a lot of business people. So, so it is a lot of private industry. Um, right. So right now the big thing is uh, I'm doing some pro bono work to get people out of Ukraine. Um, right. and, and that's it. That's a huge part of it. And that's kind of the thing that we get messages on. You know, do you have any information on what's going on here? And I'm trying to get people out. Do you know what route should they be able to take and that kind of right. stuff? And so, yeah, it, it comes from a lot of private industry, but I'm still, so I'm in, I'm in the DC area. I'm about 20 miles out of DC right now. So you got to imagine there's a lot of government, uh, government contracts and, and government people that are reaching right. out trying to get that that same information. Hmm. Kevin, thank you very much for sharing with us your experiences, and you've had such a varied background and coming from someone who doesn't want to be told what to do and then signs <laughs> up into an organization where the first you know stage of it is being told what to do and then you know, becoming a special operations person who gets to decide how things are done to meet those outcomes. Um, that's, a, that's a real transition and a real change and a, I guess a real shift in mindset as well. Thank you very much for your service. Thank you for what you've done. I really appreciate you sharing with us. If there's one thing that you would say to a veteran, just to finish up, that you'd say to a veteran who's maybe maybe had some challenges with the transition transition back into civilian life, what's one thing you could you could say to them? Some advice or guidance? Well, the one the one thing I say, and this comes back from the early '80s, uh, there for the American listeners and and people who are watching, they'll probably know. Um, the, there was a there was this basketball coach from North Carolina State, and uh, and, and he had cancer. He got cancer, and he uh, he was giving a speech. Uh, and ESPN does a they call it the V Foundation for him. But he gave a speech, and it, it's always resonated with me. This one part, and this is what I tell everyone, um, especially when they've gone into civilian life and they're just not cutting it. They just don't think that they're going to make it. And I just tell he he said one thing I could tell you is. Never give up. Never, ever give up. And that's what I tell everybody. It doesn't matter what is going on on that day. Never give up. You don't have to be your perfect self today. You just have to be better than the person you were yesterday. And if that's you continue correct. to be better than the person yesterday, 
you will be a more perfect person throughout the rest of your life. That's awesome. It takes a lot of pressure off people. I you hope so. To and I want to say thank you for letting me uh, come on and, and tell my story. Oh, I really appreciate it. The the vision of the veteran stories, difference makers, is to make sure that people understand the stories that what veterans have been through. And I don't think the majority of, of the world understands what it's like to be in the military to go through some of the traumatic experiences if some of the things that you've mentioned as well today and then um, the difference that you're actually making for other people now outside of the military because i know that people in the military often have that heart that when they come out they still want to be part of a mission still want to be part of a purpose still want to have a team of brothers and sisters around you who who know you trust you love you who have you back i feel that that's a real that's something that's to be valued in our community. I, think so too. I think a lot of people, a lot of veterans do struggle with that. I was fortunate in that when I got out, I was able to be in the community still, um, you know, with, within right. the Department of Defense. Um, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people go out to a big corporation and and they, they don't feel that camaraderie anymore. Um, right. And for those guys, get, get into a VFW, get into some sort of veterans association uh, we are a small community. You know, we're, we're less than 1% of the globe. And we have to have each other's backs. Uh, no man left behind. You know, I, I am my brother's keeper. Those kind of things, those sort of thoughts of, of seeing someone struggle, seeing your battle buddy next to you struggle, and you want to do something. You don't get that in the corporate world. And so mm -hmm. I would suggest bring it to the corporate world. This is what, what I'm trying to do. The people I surround myself with within the company are former uh, soldiers, airmen, seamen, Marines, those kind of things that, that I worked with that, um, that had my back and I had their back. And those are the kind of people that I want in my community. Kevin, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you. Please stay with us as I wrap up. I'd love to have a yeah, quick chat with you. you afterwards as well. But thanks so much for being with us. And those of you watching, whether you're watching on YouTube, on LinkedIn, or Facebook, on Twitter, on Twitch, on any other platform that we might be broadcasting and the recording is on, we've got the link to Kevin's um, LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. And also you can see on the screen his company website here as well. So I encourage you to reach out to him. Um, Which, do join can us I, again. Can I just say one more one more thing about the website? Do. Uh, yeah. You don't have to be a corporation to, to contact us there. You can sign up. Um, if, if you sign up, I'll give you, uh, anybody who signs up in the next week, I will give you free access to our social media site. Uh, and you wow. can start interacting with other, uh, much more intelligent intelligence analysts than I, than I am. So, I'm making a note to sign up myself right now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who are watching the recording, we'll have more veteran stories, difference makers coming up over the next couple of days and the next few weeks as well. So we look forward to you joining us. If you are a veteran or a member of the family of a veteran, if you'd like to pursue your bachelor degree or your master's degree, we are VA funded. And so we'd love to honor you and honor your background and make sure you can finish your degree or your master's much faster so that you can move on to your career goals and life goals that you have. So thanks very much for being with us.